you don't think the correlation of school to prison pipeline or you don't think the suspension rates of black boys and black girls have a correlation with the teacher population, then you have been mistaken since I don't know for how long. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment. It's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 Black educators. We will celebrate the impact and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to our show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your role in education, and answer the question, why do Black educators matter? All right. Uh, my name is Blake Nathan. I am the CEO and, CEO and founder of the Educate Me Foundation. Our mission is to diversify the national teacher population by recruiting and retaining more black educators. The reason that I know and believe with all my heart that black educators matter just because right now the current student demographic on in public education is over 51 percent minority students and the black teacher population is only 9% on the national level. And so, you know, we we currently are seeing a huge disproportionality rate of students of color versus teachers of color they see in the classroom on a day-to-day basis. And as we're seeing right going on right now with the, everything's going on in the news from, you know, the conversation about racism and race inequity, we have to understand too, there's a lot of things that's going on in our classrooms on a day-to-day basis that a lot of people are not seeing. And it really stems from not having that black thing we're having the lack of diversity of black teachers in our classroom that are certified educators teaching our babies. Man, you started off with the statistics. Ooh, okay, oh, yeah. I'm going to go into those. Before we de- jump into the statistics, where are you from? From Atlanta, Georgia. Not born, but raised. Mom moved here when I was one years old in the 90s. So I'm an 80s baby, barely. Was raised in Atlanta, Georgia on the east side of Atlanta for all my life. And did you go to public school, private school? What was your like K twelve experience? Yeah, that's also, yeah, that's kind of part of my testimony. When I share people like, why did I start educate? Because my story was I grew up in an all black neighborhood, went to all black school, and especially being on the east side of Atlanta. And of course, people are talking about it now. Is that Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, was kind of talking about this last night? That why are you burning our city down? And T I said the same thing because when you're in Atlanta. Especially in the matter of east side, west side, south side, north side, you around black excellence. And so my whole K-12, I was, I probably had one or two classmates that were white from, from K to 12. Now my teachers, that's a different story, but the students that I was, my classmates, um, majority black. So what were your teachers? I had a mix. I had a mixture of white teachers and black teachers. Actually, like most of my grade school teachers from K through six were white women. Starting into the middle school, I started to have black women and black men as my teachers, especially in middle school age. And then high school was kind of like 50-50, a mixture of black men and women and also white women and white men. And how about for college? Did you go to a PWI or HBCU? So I went to HBCU, the best school in the land, Tennessee State University in Nashville, Tennessee. One Um, of my partners uh, went to TSU. You probably know her, Brooke. Oh, yeah, 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 man. We got this. Oh, TSU fam, man. No, stay down. So so TSU was interesting because my specific major, I was an engineering major, so there weren't that many black professors that were in the engineering department. 
but for my general courses, like my language, my, my English, you know, one-on-one or two-on-one, my math course, I did have some black professors, but it was really com- starting to be more diverse on the uh, professional, the professor level too, as well, as far as black, t- black professors versus uh, white professors. So how did you switch from, how did you go from <laughs> engineering major to CEO and founder of an educational organization? Good question. So junior year when I was at TSU, this is probably around 2010, I started working in a daycare or early learning, early childhood center and working in infant rooms, working with, you know, your three month to 12 month old babies. I worked in the toddler one, toddler two room. But my center director at the time was like, Blake, you don't know the impact you're making on these kids' lives. And I didn't even really pay attention to it. So I'm like, okay, they're just babies, but they're more than babies. Like, they're trying to get their you know, fine motor skills, their sensory skills, all the things that you really need to, like, develop. And everybody knows this now probably is, well, you probably don't know this, but the ages from zero to three is probably the most critical years of brain development and also a child's life and then actually an adult's life. And so those zero to three years are very crucial for the development of a young kid. And then from there, I was like, I went back to university. I'm like, man, I was sitting in, my, I was sitting in a meteorology class learning about clouds and like air levels and all those things. Like, this doesn't sound like a foreign language to me. This doesn't seem rewarding. And I always ask myself, like, what could be a career that I could see myself doing for 20 plus years? And I didn't see, even though, yes, a dream come true, traveling the world and seeing all places of the earth, it would be, you know, totally awesome. But I didn't feel like that self gratification, like I'm making a true impact by flying an aircraft. And so went back to university, I said, can I change my major? They said, yeah, but you kind of like basically pushed back your graduation day. I'm like, I don't want to do that. So I kept with my major. I graduated from TSU with an aviation flight degree. It's called aeronautical and industrial technology. So I have a passion for technology and I love how technology works and enhances our life and all those things. And I was like, how can I teach young people about my passion? And I stumbled across this program called Woodrow Wilson National Teaching Fellowship. Uh, which is a STEM alternative teacher pathway, basically saying that if you are a college student or professional that's thinking about changing your career, um, we had these alternative teacher pathway programs. And Woodrow Wilson was that. Moved to Indianapolis, Indiana. I started my teaching career working in a seventh, eighth grade technology education course. Got my first master in technology education and hit the ground running from there. I just, it's, it's so many <laughs> things because number one, were you a rarity in that um, the I was going to call it youth development? It's not youth development. Early child care. Were you a rarity being a young black man working with the babies? That oh, never yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, it has never happened. Actually, one of my frat brothers at the time, like his mom, at the time, she still owns the center to this day. She owns the center, so he was working there too as well. He wasn't working in the infant room. And he was like, hey, Blake, you know, my mom is hiring. That'd be an awesome opportunity for you know, to, you know, work with some kids. And I'm like, all right, cool. So we started doing that. So it was me, him, and it was one other my one other my friend of mine. So it was like, actually, so that was definitely a rarity. Had three black men working in the early childhood center. Like, it's kind of unheard of. And so she just did a great job of supporting us and making sure we had great hours. And, like, we did a lot of different trainings outside of the normal 12-hour training. We had to get to, like, start in the position. But Definitely a rarity and definitely like you don't see that many black men working in the infant room, burping babies, changing diapers, you know, working for tummy time and all those. Th- you don't do that. <laughs> so like it's not that many of us at all. So definitely a rarity for sure. So how then did all of those experiences, especially with that um, 
Because I tried to write it down, but you said it so fast. Aeronautical what? Oh, yeah. Aeronautical and industrial technology. Yep. Like, you took all of this brilliance plus the compassion for kids and translated it into a brand new organization and career. How did you, like, put all of that together? What made you take that step? You could have done anything. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you hit with us. How did you do that? It's crazy. So... And I mean, I'm a man of faith. So I think how God works and how things kind of transpire and how the universe, you know, turns around. So when I first started teaching, I was just teaching my subject. Like I was just working with my kids. I had 160 kids on my roster. And I was like, you know, I'm going to teach them the same passion I have for education. More, more importantly, like STEM education. I have to believe that, you know, black and brown babies need to understand about careers in STEM. Like I went to school to be a pilot. Just because it didn't work out for me for my career pathway doesn't mean I want to don't want to empower the next generation of future pilots or future mechanical engineers, computer science engineers, you know, future doctors. And so I wanted to do that. So I think that was my first step of like trying to expose students to different career pathways around STEM. And actually from the first level of educate me, when I first like come up with this thought in 2014, I was like, man, I want to do something around black STEM educators, like trying to get more people to go into STEM education. And so, actually, fast forward to now, to the current date of 2020, is we have two programs that kind of sit around both of my career pathways. We have a STEM program where we are financially supporting people of color, specifically black teachers that are thinking about going to teach a STEM subject in the state of Indiana. And we're partnering with different alternative teacher pathways like Teach for America, Relay Graduate School, the New Teachers Project to kind of make sure there's some equity going into those application processes and also supporting black teachers are they, as they're going through those certification programs. and But they have to be specifically STEM teachers. And so that's kind of cool. And the second part is we have a, it's called Educate Me Early. It's an early learning program that we have. We're actually recruiting 50 black male teachers. And we also have some spots over for black women, but trying to get them involved in early learning education as well. So we actually have like right now online training that we're providing to black teachers they're going to early learning education. We're giving them a sign-on, a five hundred dollars sign-on bonus. Um, we're getting a living allowance stipend, a mentor, teacher, uh, and they have a job waiting on them once they finish our training. So it's kind of crazy that my career pathway is now. I'm trying to infuse it like bits and pieces here and there into the organization, but also understanding that because I know my story is not the only story. I know there's people that may think about going to education but can't find the right pathway. And I think that's one of the opportunities that we have to kind of showcase like the different pathways you can have into education because some people get their calling at different times, you know. Hopefully right now we probably have a lot of people saying the importance of education is because with the pandemic and now parents are the teachers and understand like, hey, we might need to, you know, praise our teachers a little bit more and showcase our appreciation for them a little bit more. So that's what we're doing right now. That's what we're doing. I'm glad to hear uh, when you listed some of the partner organizations that you work with that you listed Relay. So in Chicago, yeah. where I am, I was the director of operations for Relay when we brought it to Chicago. Okay. And what I will say that I saw with my own eyes, black men in STEM specifically, trying to get them from their undergraduate GPA to be able to be licensed in the state of Illinois through an alternative teacher training program was not easy. And in fact, there were, uh, I'm thinking about one black man specifically that we were really excited at the idea. He had graduated. I forgot what school his GPA might've been like a two eight, but he was Mm -hmm. like some, maybe some science 
So you know yeah. what that means, you know, in terms yeah. of GPA. But in Illinois at that time, you had to have an undergraduate GPA of 3.0 in mm-hmm. order to be eligible for certification. So for yeah. all the way context, my undergraduate GPA was like a 2.6. My graduate GPA was like a 3.8. That yeah. didn't matter because it was your yeah. undergrad. Yeah. So yeah. I am very happy to hear that Relay has partnered with you as a black man in the STEM field to help deal with that barrier. What are y'all doing about that barrier? Does that exist in, in Indiana? Because every state is it, different. It, it, it's funny thing you said that because I was just doing research because like right now we're in, we, this is our busy time of the year. Like it's recruiting season. So we're trying to help black teachers find jobs. And I know people are reading different things online saying, you know, teachers are losing position, but we understand too in education that it could be a support staff. It can be an IA. It can be, and because those are hourly workers. Um, and there's a lot of teachers that are retiring, you know, that's over a certain age limit. They're like, hey, I don't want to go back to school. You know, this may be my time to just take my retirement and call it a day. So I started doing a lot of research on the state levels, like, like I said, Illinois, Indiana, the Carolinas, the state of Georgia. And I'm starting to see a, a huge trend on the alternative pathways where, like you said, they're not asking for like graduate GPAs. They're asking for like P- their SAT and ACT score yep. and your undergraduate GPA. I'm like, so I, I had an ACT score of a 19 when I went to TSU. Yeah. I graduated, I graduated like a two, I think a two, seven, two, eight. Right. And I always tell people that that's not my story. Like my GPA doesn't reflect what I was doing on campus. Like nope. I was aviation major for one. So let's just, that's just scrap that one. But then I was like, I was SGA vice president. I was part of fraternity. I was running like two or three organizations. I studied abroad. So it wasn't just, I was sitting in my dorm room, chilling in the bed, watching TV and playing Madden all day. I was actually out here doing a lot of things. And so the GPA doesn't reflect the type of quality person I could be. And I mean, granted too, like it's college, you know, you're still, you know, enjoying yourself, you know, you're going trying to hang out with your friends and all those things. So, uh, but to see that now, even on the state requirements for like, some people call them um, your alternative license or emergency permits to get, to get into the classroom right now. Even if you don't go through those alternative pathways, you know, some school districts starting to do internal teacher prep programs. Mm-hmm. Grow your and own. So, yeah, so now it's like, okay, well, we want this, but we still want that, see that undergraduate GPA. Even if, like you said, you had a grad school, you know, a grass, a master's degree, you know, they still want to see the undergrad, which is kind of mind-blowing. So I know it has to be some legislative push to pass, like, some type of new requirements for it. And I understand it, too, when you talk to, like, I have friends in the medical field, like, that are doctors and dentists and lawyers and different industries. And so they always say, like, you're not going to trust a doctor that to examine or do surgery on you if they don't, you know, pass their 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 medical exam, or you're not gonna have a lawyer represent you that don't pass their their board exam. And I get that. So, and I mean, I think education is probably should be up there as far as professions. But I think there's a difference between content knowledge and like classroom management. Absolutely. I think there's a difference between cultural competency and you just knowing, you know, the standards. It's 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 a difference factor, and so. And I know STEM, that's why it's so important, too, for us to understand, like, how we train STEM teachers, because they have a lot of content knowledge. Yep. But it's like that relationship building, that classroom management, the pedagogy that goes alongside of, like, being an effective teacher that we are looking into for sure. And we got professional development that we're offering as well. But, yeah, one way to try to overcome that barrier is we are uniquely positioned to partner with these different entities because we understand, like, relays requirement may be different from TFAs, yep. which may be different from... 
the new teachers project. And so that's why for us coming in and like basically even the playing field for a lot of these organizations and candidates, because we understand that everyone's going to get to relay. So maybe it's another alternative teacher pathway that's more conducive for you. Um, charter schools are now coming up and being innovative. Say we're going to intern, we're going to have our own internal prep programs too as well. Yep. And so our goal is just being that quote unquote teacher agent to find a teacher that best ideal position for them in the right environment. That's going to be conducive to them getting certified even if it comes into like an assistant teaching role to start off with, like you're getting your first year experience under your belt, learning from master teacher, you may be taking some online coursework at a local university, but this is what you're going to have to do because you're coming through a different pathway from a traditional undergrad degree in education to doing your student teaching experience to now being licensed to teach. So, This is just one of many stories and we want to keep the conversation going. Follow us on Instagram at blackeducators.matter. Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org. Help build the movement by joining our Patreon. Now, let's get back to our Project 500 podcast. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's so interesting when you talk to educators and you learn how they got to the classroom because everybody's pathway is different. Like a lot of yeah. people did go through alternative teacher training programs. Some people did go through um, like I went into school and declared my major. Some people were golden apple scholars, so they knew they were going to be teachers since they were five. Yeah. Like <laughs> and, and now we're all here together with this blessing and this charge and privilege of educating our students. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you make this space a space that is welcoming for every educator who wants to be here to pour into these kids? Because those barriers, those barriers that keep certain people out of the profession, but allow others in, like you said, having that content knowledge. And when I was working and, and helping manage that alternative teacher training program, that was the logic. Like, well, GPA is a reflection of character. No. Yeah. That's not yeah. true. And when you carry that mindset into the class, what are you? T- what else are you telling our kids? Like, because yeah. that's not true. Yeah. And I think I think they haven't. So good thing you brought that up. So I was talking to a charter school operator out of the West Coast, and she was like, you know, she was hiring for candidates and teachers, and she was saying that you know she has like three or four teachers that are under emergency permit, so they have like one or two year window to kind of pass the test, you know, pass the certification test. And she said that she has to go back to the West Coast in San Francisco and tell her teacher that she had to let them go because they didn't pass the test. But she's like, she's a great teacher. She knows her information, her great classroom management, her students have phenomenal test scores, but she just can't pass the test. Like she has this anxiety of taking tests. And so I'm like, man, that's just that's just crazy. So I'm like, as an evaluator or as a, a, a governing board that approves teacher licensing, I would probably invent something where we have a component of the, the test that is a classroom observation component where we can kind of see the teacher in action or we can kind of assess their, their performance data from a student perspective. Because like you said, like if I... If I'm not a good test taker, people say, well, that's a cop out. That may be an excuse, but it's probably true. Like, and we know that in education, some of these tests, how they're written, the examples they're given are not culturally <laughs> conducive to some of our students that are taking these tests. And if, you, if we don't believe that's happening on the professional level, then we're, you know, we're just blind because it is happening. 
<laughs> I had to take I had to take my technology test three times because I was an aviation degree major and technology has around four domains. You have the automotive, you have construction, you have uh, transportation, and you have like the computer digital learning one. And it's like so I had to study all these different domains that I was never exposed to because it's what I need to get certified. Yeah. So, and it, that, that same process definitely translates into education. And that's why when we say like, well, how is it that there are 51% minority students, but only 9% minority teachers? Well, when you start talking to some of those teachers and you say like, so what was your pathway? There are quite a few teachers that had problems passing those certification exams. And it don't got nothing to do with their level of intelligence, the way that they can connect to kids or even content. Some of those tests are testing for things that are not relevant to what they are teaching. So even within the space of education, even for the grownups, there are still culturally biased tests that we like it never ends. Yeah. It never ends. Speaking of never ending, do you have a shared sense of identity or connectedness when you are uh, working with kids? Like, do you ever see yourself in some of the students? Yeah, I think that's probably, I think I was one of those, and now I'm kind of not indirectly with students anymore because I'm running the organization, but, you know, I just think that's one of the innate abilities that I had as an educator and I have as an educator is like putting myself in that that student's shoes and kind of like under, not sympathizing for them, like but really empathizing, you know, for where they are. And, you know, I grew up in a two-parent household. You know, my parents, I feel like, you know, did well did well enough where I didn't have to struggle and all those things. But, you know, I have family members that struggled and I know what it looks like to struggle. And I did with a demographic of students that, you know, I'm pretty sure in Chicago, you probably heard the same things from family members getting locked up, not eating, students wearing the same clothes every single day. The only safe space they feel is when they're in your classroom because, granted, I was the only black male teacher in my school building for two years. And so, granted, like if some kid want to talk about something that, they don't feel comfortable with talking about the other teacher. And then you now like the listening ear, you're the therapist, you're the counselor, you're the mentor, the uncle, the big brother, the father. So you do all these things. And so it's like, man, you care so much because you like, I know there's something better for you. Like I, I seen it, you know? And I think that's part of where me as an educator come in to where I'm like, even now transferring to like the organization. Cause I want to get more teachers in the classroom to have that same feeling because some of our kids, I know some of our kids like, now, I'm not saying every kid, but I know the kids I work with, some of them never even left their zip code. Yep. <laughs> they never even left, like, you say, hey, did you go down, have you ever been downtown? Like, they're like, no, i never been downtown. Like, I don't even know what that looks like. And I'm just like, wow. Like, and I always think experience is the best teacher. Like, I'm talking, I'm, I've been in, like, I've been in Africa before. I've been, you know, the, I travel so many places in, within the, in the States. Like, I'm like, man, like, you don't even know what it's like to feel big on a plane or, like, what it's like to even go down the street and just see a different walk of life. Because what you're supposed to right now is not, it's not the world. Like, your street, you know, your corner, your cul-de-sac, whatever, your apartment complex building is not the, the world. And that's what I tried so much in my classroom when I was teaching, like, trying to expose them to different things in life. So when we did, like... We did like, so I was technology. So we did a dream house project. So I'm like, Hey, I want you to research a city outside of the state of Indiana. And then based on your career pathway, like that's how you're going to build your dream house. So if you want to move in LA, you need to look at the property value in LA versus Atlanta versus New York. So yeah, you may want a 4,000 square foot house, but can you afford that? Just open their eyes to different things or, and we did one of the most, 
I think impactful project for me was like a, we built a boat out of PVC pipes and this six mil tarp paper, and like they actually built a life size boat that they can they can take to like a local swimming pool. We did a field trip, and like just seeing the kids like never been some of them never even been to a swimming pool before. I'm like wow, like this is crazy. And those are the moments you kind of live for as a teacher. Like I want to be able to expose my students to all these different things because we get it. We know what they need to be exposed to because hopefully as an educator, you had enough life experiences that you want to share some of your favorite things. Like I like to play baseball. So I'm going to talk about sports with my students or I like hip hop and rap. Like I see a lot of teachers doing that. Like how can I fuse the hip hop into my classroom or there's different things. And so that's what I see every time I look at my students and I'm like, Man, y'all just only if you know the half. So I'm sharing them with TSU stories and like what it's like to be, you know, a, a Greek or in a Greek organization and like travel just so they can like, man, I want to aspire to be like Mr. Nathan one day or it, hopefully be aspired to be better than Mr. Nathan, but at least have that motivation for sure to know like this is not what it's supposed to be like. I shouldn't be struggling like this. I, I deserve more of my life. And so that's what I see. Shout out to the Mr. Nathans of the world that <laughs> tell the kids that they deserve more and they like. So let me ask you this, speaking of deserving more, what is the state of education in black America and how did we get here? Oh man, I had this kind of question. I have this conversation with people all the time. Uh, and I think it's probably even more now to talk about it because of with George Floyd, you know, Ahmaud, Brianna, and I've seen it. I, and people talk about the coronavirus, the malpractice in the health field. I'm like, if you don't think there are Karens in your class, in your school systems, if you don't think that the overdiagnosis of black boys refers to SPED programs, if you don't think the correlation of school to prison pipeline, or you don't think the suspension rates of black boys and black girls have a correlation with the teacher population, then you have been mistaken since I don't know for how long. And we have gotten this way because, and I mean, people feel like, oh, we needed desegregation of our schools and like Brown versus Board of Education. But I was having a conversation with my mom like that's long ago. And I was like, man, she's from Memphis, Tennessee. So deep South. And so she understands, you know, she was born, We, you know, I'm giving her age away, but she was born in 1963. MLK got assassinated in 1968. In Memphis, Tennessee. So she knows as a young kid, like, what Memphis was like during that time. And she remembers when they uh, opened up the bus line um, for them to bus to, they desegregated schools in Memphis, Tennessee in 1973. And so, almost a 20-year difference um, from the Brown Brown Board of Education to Memphis, Tennessee desegregated schools. And everybody felt like, you know, you want to desegregate schools to give kids a better option, um, across the borders or whatever the case may be or the white flight and all that stuff. But I always felt it's really showcasing now because we don't have a nucleus of black teachers in one environment. You know, we're scattered so far around, you know, that's why you have to have organizations like Educate Me or, you know, the Black Teachers Matters podcast, like these different opportunities because we need our voices to be heard, knowing that you're not in this thing in this fight by yourself. You know, there's other teachers in this community that are trying to do the same thing you're trying to do or want to amplify our voices. But we're in a we're in a crazy time right now because I know I have a feeling when schools open back up in the fall, you got students that have been quarantined for about six months. Teachers are leaving the profession for you know whatever reason they may be leaving. And the school, the students that are going to be hit the hardest are our black students. And, you know, we say urban neighborhoods. It's black communities, right? They're going to be hit the hardest. Yeah. Lack of funding, 
lack of support. It was already rough and tough before the pandemic. It's going to be even worse after the pandemic. And I've, I've been doing a call out. Like, if you are someone right now that has this feeling of you want to make a difference, make an impact, education could be your stepping stone or step stool to make that impact. Because if you feel like, man, I want to make a change in our, in our black communities and for our black babies, like, education is the front line. You know, we need you. I mean, there's plenty of programs that can get you certified and qualified to do the, the official certifications, but we need you to make a difference. But right now, it's a crazy time that the state of education is in right now, for sure. People have lost their jobs, but there are also a lot of jobs that are open. There's a lot of need for training for virtual learning. There's a lot of need to create access for students for virtual learning. There's a lot of social emotional <laughs> training that need to happen too as well. And so there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. And I think, and I always said this, education is always the last thing to be talked about or to be innovative, to be advanced. I'm thinking right now, it's, first it was the coronavirus health pandemic. Now it's the racial pandemic, and hopefully next people will understand, like, this educational pandemic is going to be crucial. And so I know, I mean, we probably, we apply for grants almost every day just because we understand so much money out there right now to figure this issue out. And we can't be so much reactive. We have to be proactive into this. And so that's why we've been, you know, up and up. We've been revving up our recruiting support for black teachers, trying to find them jobs, let them know there's jobs out there, let them know there's programs out there to support them. And also, you know, now people are asking from the parent perspective, like what resources out there. So on our website, we just kind of, you know, promoted different resources for parents to help educate their kids in the time being because summer camps are not open right now. So it's a lot of things that's, that's hurting us right now. But um, we need organizations and leaders like ourselves to come together to continue to provide the community with answers. Where can people learn more about Educate Me and everything that you all are working on? Yeah, so uh, our website, www.educatemefoundation.org. Um, that's where we post like most of our events. Uh, we just did a virtual recruiting fair and diversity conference not too long ago, like two weeks ago. And we also posted things all the time on our Instagram page, same thing, Educate Me Foundation on Instagram and LinkedIn as well. So that's a lot of where the professionals are. So we post LinkedIn, Instagram, and then also our website. What advice do you have for... Black professionals who are thinking about pursuing a career in education. Yeah. So that's, you asked some good questions. So thank you. Uh, so that's funny you asked that question because I, I always, I, you know, for us, we want to support as many black people that want to think about going to education, help them find jobs. But I also understand that it is, could potentially be disastrous because you have people saying, oh, you know, I want to help the kids out, but. You, we know it, being in front of those 26 kiddos and like being responsible for those, their, their learning development, their lives, their social emotional stability, like it's a lot of work and it's a lot of things you have to worry about, parent relationships and supporting your parents. And, and so I always want to, you know, we ask a series of questions about like why you want to do this work, you know, why you feel like you're called to do this work. Because I always tell people that want to go into education. Being inside the classroom is not your only way to support public education. You can provide services to a school. You can be a person that owns a restaurant and say, you know what, I want to be a, a new catering service for my school, for my son's school. Or you want to provide mental health services to students. And not Again, not being directly inside the classroom, just being a service provider. I know a lot of parents are now like, I want to be more involved, not in the PTA, but like being more a parent advocate. 
and what does that look like? So, yeah, I need to be sitting inside my my son's classroom to see, like, what's my teacher's teaching? Because now I'm seeing, like, man, like, what my students need to learn, or my child needs to learn throughout the day. I maybe need to sit in the classroom myself, just kind of understand these, these same lessons, right? And so um, those are kind of my advice to those you know, those business professionals or corporate American professionals think they want to go in education. Just understand that the cl- inside the classroom is not the only position. Yeah, we need you there for sure. But you can, you know, if you want to run social media for a school or you want to run public relations for a school, represent them in their legal team. Uh, there's so many different other capacities that you can service in that would definitely support equity for sure in public education. Yes, for everything that you said. And also education is truly like working in a classroom is like a calling, a gift and a superpower. Yeah. Like it is fun, you know, like everybody, you know, we make it seem like everyone can do it because we've all had teachers. We've all been in a classroom Mm -hmm. and good teachers make it seem effortless. Yeah. (laughs) But the reality is there are so many skills at play and on display all the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think you said it like people really have to understand all of the things that go into being an educator, all of those relationships, all of those skills. It's not just I'm the grown up. Y'all, the kids listen to me. I mean, unless you're like Miss Trumbull from uh, (laughs) Matilda. Yes, Matilda. Are there any black educators that went out of their way to aid in your success? Are there any black teachers you would like to thank? Oh, man. I think about, you know, when I was middle school, Miss Andrews, uh, Mr. Zuberry, he was one teacher that was like playing African drums and wearing dashikis in the classroom. <laughs> Just kind of teaching us about our heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm talking about seventh grade, my first teacher, like truly teaching about our heritage. My middle, my high school teachers, Miss Simpson, to this day, I still stay in contact with her and Mr. Weaver. They still are at the same high school I graduated from. Man, like professors like Dr. Latham for our leadership TSU and just understand like as a black man, like I was wearing suits and bow ties and, you know, trying to be sharp. And he would just challenge me as a black man, like, you know, your, your suit and your pin and your, your lapel pin and your bow tie gets you in the door. But once you open your mouth, like you want to make sure you got some substance coming out of it. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's something real I need to hear. <laughs> I'm trying to grow. And so I, those are kind of the, the first few I just think of, like through my roller decks that kind of like, man, like, if it wasn't for them, like, to my black women and black men that impacted my life, and they probably don't even know it. Some do, but definitely, you know, some teach, you know, some are just probably, you probably another student through their major class roster that they, like, you know, they, you know their name, but they probably don't remember yours. But for sure, I think those are kind of the ones that kind of just instantly popped in my mind. Well, thank you for sharing your story and coming and um, telling us about the Educate Me Foundation and walking us through all the things that you are working on across the country, as well as all of the support you're providing for families. Um, you mentioned being in a fraternity. What fraternity are you in? Alpha Theta Nun Greater of Kappa Alpha Psi, Fraternity Incorporated. Oh, my <laughs> husband is a Kappa. Maybe that's why he's knocking on the door. Yeah, you know? shoot to the, yo to the brush. Yeah, I'll tell <laughs> each other. Well, thank you again for coming on the show and everything that you have done for the culture. It was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Educators Matter. Are you ready to share your story? 
Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org to sign up. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a black teacher today.